Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. All right, if you would open your Bibles again to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to read again verse 31 through the end of the chapter. I'll let you remain seated, but before we read, I'd ask you once again, as we're going to do every week now, to hold up your Bibles. Hold them up. Everybody got them? All right. This is the Word of God. I will read it. I will believe it. And I will obey it by the grace of God. It is the word of God that we are reading and not anybody else's words. So Mark 8, beginning in verse 31. And he, this is now Jesus now. This is after, remember this is right after. We kind of, so it's interesting that this passage follows Easter because he's talking about what he's going to do on the cross. But it follows what we had two weeks ago where Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say, or who do people say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter had just said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. That's what he was saying in verse 29. And Jesus charged them, they should tell no man of him. In verse 31, and then he began to teach them that the Son of Man, now the Son of Man was Jesus' most favorite expression for himself. And that comes from the Old Testament and the prophets. The Messiah is referred to as the Son of Man in many different places. And so therefore, when he would say this, people would understand what he meant being the Messiah. But, continuing on, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, plainly, straightly. That's the idea there. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us today to never be ashamed of you, Help us to take up our cross and follow you. But God, help us to also understand exactly what it is you mean 
by that statement. Help us to understand what you are trying to teach the disciples and what you are trying to teach us today. Speak to us, I pray. Help us to be obedient in your power, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Take up your cross. We often hear this. This is a familiar phrase that was preached in churches as far as the concept of taking up your cross. It's put in songs about embracing the cross, taking up your cross, carrying your cross, treasuring the cross. All these things are in songs. But do we really understand what was going on here in this place? And I, I want you to see four major things this morning. And the first thing I want you to see is to realize that realize this. There is much to suffer. There is much to suffer. I just want to dive straight into this without much of a preamble or much of an introduction because I've already kind of done that as I was reading. But I want you to understand that Jesus is going to talk about how he has to suffer. And therefore, if we understand that Jesus did suffer, there's also much for us to suffer. There is much to suffer in this world. Now, that doesn't come to, as any surprise to most of us as we have suffered. We watch people suffering, whether it be suffering from poverty or suffering from uh, hunger or starvation or disease or ridicule or persecution or racism or any number of things that we can talk about. There is plenty of suffering in this world. I just woke up to read there is another shooting in another place, another mass shooting in another place. I woke up the other day and looked about how there, yet there is another train that derailed and possible chemical spill uh, up in Maine, I believe it was. There's all kinds of hardships and struggles and trials and tribulations all over this world. There is much to suffer. But in this passage, Jesus is predicting his own suffering and talking openly and plainly and publicly about how he was to suffer on the cross. Now, we just celebrated Easter. And so, therefore, there's, of course, the immediate tie-in to last week and the suffering of Passion Week and dying on the cross. And then, of course, the resurrection from the grave. But he was predicting his own, not just his own suffering, but as far as physical suffering, but his own rejection, specifically by the religious leaders. There, again, he, he points out three different groups. He really doesn't say rejection by the masses because, again, they largely were the ones that were praising him and hailing him as he came into Jerusalem as the king. But he's saying, listen, I'm going to suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, that's the leaders, the chief priests, that's the religious leaders, the scribes, those are also religious leaders, and be killed and after three days, rise again. Now, having said that, we could go back to last week's message where it said the disciples did not remember or realize or understand that he had said he would rise after three days. But right there we see it plain as day that he told them. But Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered many things. Not just the rejection, not just the physical trauma of the cross, but he suffered the separation from his father for the first and only time ever. He suffered sin for the first and only time ever. Jesus suffered. 
everyone will suffer. Now we touched on this already, but because of the curse of sin. Here's the thing. Jesus suffered, and I'm going to get to this, but I kind of put this in the middle. We, because Jesus suffered, if we're going to be Christians, if we are Christians, if we are going to follow him, we as Christians are going to suffer. But before I really touch on that, I want you to understand that everybody suffers. I touched on this a little bit already, but again, because of the curse of sin in this world, there is wickedness, there is hatred, there is violence, there is war, there is terrorism, there is racism, there is bigotry, there is poverty and famine and pestilence and sickness and disease and death and loss. There's depression and anxiety and discouragement, and rejection. All those things come about because we live in a sin-cursed world. And we deal with the consequences of sin. Everybody, saved and lost, deal with the consequences of sin. Now, they may not, again, in this life, people may not recognize or acknowledge that it's a consequence of sin, but it is. And as of yet, they haven't. If you're still alive, you haven't suffered the condemnation or suffered the eternal damnation of the cost of sin. But if you don't accept Christ, you do. But everybody will suffer. But his followers—that's us, the Christians—will suffer more. And you say, "Well, wait a minute, preacher. What do you mean we're going to suffer more?" Because the world doesn't suffer the rejection because of Christ. The world doesn't suffer the, 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 the devil troubling them to try to disrail them or discourage them from following Christ. To get them out of the, the world does, if you're not a Christian, the devil is not going to attack you in that way. Now you still suffer attacks of evil and wickedness and all kinds of things, but you're not going to suffer having to carry your cross. You're not going to suffer for the cause of Christ. And so therefore, there is an additional suffering that is come. That is that has come and is coming. It, look, if you would, in John 15.9. Hold your place there in Mark and go to John 15.9. I want you to see two different places where we're told this. 15.9, in John 15.9, it says... Uh, I, I put 15, 9, that's not right. Hang on one second. I'll find it. 15, 19. If you were of the world, now, if you're a Christian, you're not. Now, you may choose to be a part of the world, meaning you may choose to compromise with the world, but if you are of, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Now, you say, well, he's talking to the disciples. No, he's talking to all believers. He's talking directly to the disciples, but the fact that he, they were chosen out of the world, if you are saved, you've been chosen out of the world. And so therefore it applies to you. Now if you go down to 16, it says, they shall, uh, These things have I spoken to you, verse 1, unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you 
will think they doeth God service. That's talking directly to the disciples about the disciples. Nobody's putting us out of the synagogues today thinking they're doing God a service. Now, there is a day coming and is taking place in some places in the world now, and even in some places in America it is taking place now, where they're going to try to put us out of the church. They're going to try to close the church's doors. They're going to try to prevent you from having true Bible-believing church. How many of you have noticed just this week the leaks that took place, uh, the, the, the security leaks that took place, and the reports that were given about the FBI and about how they are recruiting church members to spy on their churches? Did you see that? Did you catch that? Now, it was specifically talking about there was some, it was taking place in some Catholic churches. You said, well, we're a Baptist church. If you don't think that it can take place, or, well, that's only in a Catholic church, that it's not going to take place in the Baptist church, then you're sadly mistaken. My point is this, the day is coming. But this, they're talking specifically to the disciples. In the days that were to follow, following the crucifixion of Christ, the disciples were going to be put out of the synagogue for preaching Jesus Christ, and they were going to die for taking a stand for Christ. But over in 19, it's talking about all of us. And so therefore, there is rejection that we deal with, being professing Christians. People are going to threaten you. People are going to hate you. People are going to, want to argue with you because they're going to blame you as a Christian for being closed-minded. They're going to blame you as a Christian for being the cause of all the hatred in the world. And in fact, let me just go ahead and give it to you again. Tennessee, you notice the, sh the, the shooting that took place in the elementary Christian elementary school in Tennessee and that it was a person of, I'm just going to go ahead and say, say it, it was a transgender that was targeting and attacking the Christian school that they went to. And the FBI to this point has refused to call it a hate crime, but if it had been the other way around, now listen, we ought not to hate anybody, but I promise you, you understand what I'm saying, if it had been the other way around, a Christian going into a transgender school and attacking a transgender school, it would have been a hate crime, no questions asked. And then you had certain ones, and I'm not going to say everybody of the transgender community or the homosexual community, saying, well, that's what Christians get for their hateful beliefs and teachings. My friend, if, and there have been, but in nightclubs or even pro-homosexual or transgender nightclubs, there have been shootings, and we ought to never say, well, that's what they get. We ought to have compassion no matter who anybody is that goes through suffering and hardship. But I'm telling you, there is suffering that we will encounter as Christians and as followers of Christ. There is rejection that is coming because of Jesus suffered rejection, Jesus suffered suffering, Jesus suffered persecution, and so will you and me. James, just in our lesson this morning, we, not in the very section, but it referred back to James 1, 1 and 2, where it says, be glad when you go through all kinds of 
temptations, but the word there is really trials or tribulations. Is what it means. My point is this, is that everybody's going to suffer, but the followers of Christ certainly are going to suffer because Christ suffered, and he told us we're going to suffer. And that's what Jesus was talking about. talking about his suffering, but understand, we're going to suffer too. But understand this, there are Christians that say, well, well, wait just a minute. That ought not to be right. That's not right. And they do the exact same thing that Peter did following what Jesus said. Back in Mark, when it says that Jesus said, I'm going to have to suffer, and I'm going to be rejected, and he says it openly and plainly, and Peter understood, and then Peter goes to him, and he rebukes Jesus. Now, <laughs> understand what's taking place here. Peter had just said, you are the Son of God. And then Peter scolds Jesus. Got your minds around that? But we do the same thing. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. We do the same thing. Peter says, hey, listen, you talk about this dying and this suffering, and listen, verse 32, begin to rebuke him, saying that's not, that, that's not what you're supposed to be doing, Jesus. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. And Jesus, notice now, notice the significance of these words. When he had turned about and looked on his disciples. So Peter comes and he publicly, or he out loud, rebukes Jesus in the earshot of the disciples. And so then Jesus doesn't privately say, Peter, you're wrong. He looks around and he sees the disciples are watching and he uses a teaching moment and he makes an example, but he says, Get thee behind me, Satan, with his disciples watching. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Understand what is taking place. Peter is, why is Peter saying, Lord, don't, don't, no, you can't go to the cross. You can't die. You can't suffer. You can't be rejected. Why was Peter saying that? Because Peter was still in his mind thinking, Je the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And the Messiah is predicted to come and he's going to throw off the shackles of the oppressors. He's going to remove the restraints, in this case for them, of the Romans because Romans were in, in charge, but also the Jewish leadership that was persecuting them or, or restraining and restricting them so much. And Jesus was going to come and he was going to basically, with a military move, defeat the Romans, and he was going to set all things right again. That's what Peter is thinking. That's what all the apostles were thinking. They still had in their mind that Jesus was going to set up his throne on earth at that time. So Jesus can't die. Jesus, no, that's not what I think. That's not what I want. Jesus, that's not what you're supposed to do. Jesus, that's... And the point Jesus was making was, Peter, you're thinking in earthly terms, not heavenly terms. Your things are not on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
And Peter, you're missing it. And my point to you is this, is the rebuke comes to you and me. Don't get your mind, your will, your desires around the earthly things, but keep the heavenly things in mind. The way you live your life, live them for the heavenly things. We often, as, as Christians, and it is Gentile Christians, I, I think sometimes we miss just how difficult it was for the people of Jesus' day and for the Jews of Jesus' day to understand what he was saying because for hundreds of years they had been taught a certain way and that when the Messiah came, he would set up his kingdom and Israel would be brought back into prominence. But now Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to die. I'm going to be leaving you. I'm going away. And they're like, that's not what we've always been taught. That's not what we all want. That's not what we believe. That's not what we think. And you're the son of God. You can't be doing that. But Jesus knew that he didn't come to set up his, earth, his earthly kingdom at that time. He came, up, came to tell of the heavenly kingdom and not to throw off the shackles of the Romans, but to throw off and free people from the shackles of, from the shackles of sin. So therefore, when the prophets were talking about the fact that he's going to come and he's going to set the, the captive free, he's talking about free from sin. Now also when he talked about the prophets, and also talked about he will set up his kingdom, it'll be a kingdom without end, and he said, well then how does that fit in? That fits in when he comes back the second time. The second time. Then he will come back, and he will set up his kingdom for a thousand year reign and then after the thousand year reign the devil and will be defeated once and for all and he will rule and reign forever and we will rule and reign forever with him and it will be a kingdom without end but peter and the disciples that's why he's saying listen no you get behind me and sometimes we have to be sure that we're not doing the same thing that peter is trying to restrain what god is doing because what god is doing is greater than what we think ought to be done in our human minds and our fleshly nature and he rebukes Peter, you're not desiring the things of men, but you need to desire the you, you are desiring the things of men, but you need to desire the things of God. And listen, what good is a kingdom without end if people still die and go to hell? And so therefore he had to come and die to pay our price. And that's what he was talking about. But Peter and the disciples didn't understand it, and neither do I. That's why he said it plainly. And then he calls everybody over to him. And he says this. Listen. Set your minds on heavenly things. But then he says in verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him, unto him with his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So we, we see the, that we need to realize that there's much to suffer. We need to see the rebuke where Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, because Peter had rebuked Jesus and was trying to restrain what God had in store. But also we need to see the requirement. 
The requirement is threefold. Number one, that we deny ourselves. So get our minds off the earthly things, get them on the heavenly things, and in order to do that, we've got to deny ourselves. Listen, we all have human desires. And they're not necessarily bad in of themselves unless they're not part of God's plan. That's why we don't lay up treasures for ourselves here. That's not part of God's plan. Lay up your treasures in heaven. That doesn't mean you can't have treasures here, but that's not your goal. That's not what you're seeking. That's not your purpose. But we are to take up our cross. Let him deny himself. Put aside my desires, my wants, my dreams, my goals. I often will ask my, not often, but there's times I'll ask my children what do they want to do in life. And they answer me the same way I answered my parents, to whatever it was I desired at that moment. You know, Ella, when she was younger, wanted to be a veterinarian. Uh, that's what she wanted to be. Landon, when he was younger, wanted to play football, and then he wanted to play soccer, and then he wanted to be a physical therapist, and now he thinks God is calling him to be a music worship leader. Um, but I would answer the same thing. I wanted to be a fireman when I grew up, and then I wanted to be a policeman when I grew up. And then after that, I wanted to be a baseball player when I grew up. In fact, I told you many times, I'll tell you again, there was a time in my, time in my life at the peak of my baseball playing prowess that I wanted to be a baseball player and I went to church camp and God said, I don't want you to be a baseball player. I want you to be a preacher of the gospel. And I said, yes, that's what I'll do, Lord. And I took my stick at the time. We put it on the fire representing taking our life and, throw, and, and surrendering our own will and our own desires to that of what God's is. And I even put in my notes that we subjugate or submit our will to his. Now, he gives us desires. He gives us will. Sometimes the things that he puts in our heart is of his will, but sometimes it's not. And God, whatever your will is, that's what I want. And when I, when I want the answer to be for my kids, and I don't blame them because I didn't, as I started to say, I didn't answer the same way when my parents asked me. But when I say, what do you want to do with your life? Is I want my children to answer whatever God wants. Whatever God wants. And I pray that's their desire. And I pray that that's yours. And I pray that it's mine. But we deny our earthly desires, our earthly plans. And we pick up our cross. So we put down, again, going back to last week, how do we pick up our cross? Well, in order to carry our cross, we've got to put down the things that we don't need. Our desires, our pride, our will. And take up the cross, the cause of Christ. I talked last week about filling up your empty grave by getting rid of or leaving the things to the cross, the things that don't do us any eternal good. Now, that doesn't mean, again, and even the burdens. And that, again, prayer requests are good, but not if we just simply worry about them all the time. So we take them and we lay them at the feet of Jesus or we 
pin them to the cross. That's what the point of that was. And then now that my hands are empty of those things, I can take up the cross. And notice that it's personal here. It's not you as a church, you as a family, you as a group. It's you personally. If anybody is going to follow after me, whosoever will come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross. What's your cross? Well, I think the cross is the cross of Christ as far as we deny ourselves, we take up the cross of the gospel, but also sometimes it's the cross of things that aren't comfortable for us, things that are painful for us, things that are contrary to us. It wasn't Christ's desire to go to the cross, but he said, not my will be done, but Father, your will be done. And maybe it's laying down our desires. Maybe it's maybe the cross we're picking up is carrying the persecution and the rejection. Because we've laid down our desires. we laid down things that, that, that we were carrying that we didn't need. And now we're picking up that which matters and that which is eternal. And then the third part of it is to follow him. It's not enough just to deny yourself. We also have to pick up the cross. And it, sometimes it's not enough to just, in all the time, but some people think, well, okay, that's enough. I've denied myself. I've picked up my cross. I'm good. No, it's follow me. Follow me. Now listen, preacher, are you saying that denying yourself and taking up the cross and following Jesus, that's a requirement for salvation? It's not so much that's a requirement for salvation. It's what you do when you're saved. Salvation is full and free, paid for by Christ, what he did on the cross alone. Just like baptism is not part of your salvation. But when you're saved, God will lead you to deny yourself and take up the cross and follow him because you're now a new creature. You now have a new heart. You now are a new person in Christ, and that's what you desire to do. To keep following to keep carrying the cross. It's not easy to carry the cross. I think it's another thing that we don't understand. Now, again, maybe we've watched The Passion of the Christ or whatever, but I think there's so many things that when we read the Bible, the way we read it, or sometimes we just skim it, or we've read it before, and so we don't think that much about it, but just what it would have been to carry the cross. Now, denying yourself is hard enough. And can only be done in the strength of Christ. But to carry your cross, Jesus Christ carrying that cross down that road, the Via della Rosa, that, that road that went to Calvary, that, listen, that he carried by himself until he couldn't carry it anymore. And they got Simon, uh, to, to, they pull a guy out of the crowd named Simon, and they had him help carry the cross. But the point is this, and I think that's a picture of just that that we carry our cross, and when we can't carry it any farther, God helps us carry the cross that we have to carry for him, but we still keep following. Don't stop. Don't stop despite the fact that, listen, if you live your life as a Jesus freak, as I was reminded of that song the other day, that old uh, Christian song from the 
90s probably, but that was when I was in high school was one of the contemporary songs and it was on Facebook. I heard somebody playing it the other day and I was reminded of that song. But we used to hear the term about someone being a Jesus freak or Jesus nut or, man, you're a Bible thumper, whatever you want to call it. Listen, you ought to believe your Bible front to back every verse, every word, and claim it and the promises and believe the warnings and and abide by the, the instructions of it. But if you do, people are going to oppose you. People are going to reject you. People are going to persecute you. And if they haven't yet, it's coming. But you carry that cross anyway. And it's hard. And it's not easy. And it's painful. And that means, by the way, that, that this is the exact opposite of what many churches are preaching today. Hey, when you get saved, everything's going to be better. When you get saved, everything is going to be easier. When you get saved, blessings are just going to pour down upon you. God blesses and pours down blessings on me all the time. That doesn't mean I'm driving around Mercedes and BMWs and living in a million-dollar house and have everything I've ever possibly dreamed of having or wanting. And by the way, if you give to the church, you're going to be that much less expendable income. But there are some churches that say, hey, you give to the church and God's going to multiply your bank account. And people will throng to hear that message. But that's not the message of take up your cross. That's not the message of your suffering as a Christian is going to be harder. Now, of course, here's the thing, and this is what I wrap up with. The reward is great. The reward is great. Who, and again, there's a warning and a reward in this, but whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Listen, the only thing that really matters in this life is the soul. Where is it going? And once your soul is saved, then it's the other souls. And so therefore, deny yourself, carry the cross, and lead others to the cross so they can become saved, and then they can pick up their cross so that their soul can also not be lost, but can be saved. In the midst of this, he's saying, don't be ashamed. In the midst of this reward, he's saying, listen, here, I'm, I'm going to kind of give you the opposite. If you are not ashamed, and I'm not sure the word pr pr proud is right, but if you're not ashamed, then you're going to experience the joy of the Lord when he returns. This doesn't mean you lose your salvation if, if you become discouraged or ashamed or struggle at times or don't always carry your cross like you should. We all are going to have times where we set that cross down because we sin, we fall, we fail. but I don't want Jesus to come back and be ashamed of me. I don't want Jesus to come back and be less than well done, good and faithful servant. But I'm telling you this, and this is the last point I'm going to make, because I'm going to take you to one other verse. And if you look, in, uh, and I didn't even write down the reference for it. I think it's Romans 8, 18. No, I think that's right. I meant to write down, and I didn't. Yes. 
Romans 8, 18. Turn there, if you will. Watch this. Watch this. I came across this verse in my own Bible reading this week, and I just so spoke to me as I was preparing this message. The reward is eternal life. The reward is, eter- is the joy of our Lord when he's not ashamed because we were not ashamed of him. But notice what it says in Romans 8, 18. Here's the thing. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. Now, we're told we're going to suffer. We're told there's going to be persecution. But the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, the things that you're going through now don't hold a candle in comparison to what we're going to receive and what we're going to know when Christ comes and takes us home. Listen, I know that many, if not all of you, are going through hardships and struggles and battles and defeats as far as in your mind you're feeling defeated and discouraged and depressed. I know that there's times of just absolute sorrow and pain and grief, but I'm telling you the things that you face and the things that you will face are nothing compared to what you're going to receive one day. And listen, it's not in this life that it matters because I can have, I like to fish, I can have all the fishing stuff, all the boats, all the cars, all the computer, whatever it is that you want, all the shoes, all the purses, all the, whatever it is. And that may be what you get if that's what your desire is. It may be that you achieve that. But if you lose your soul, then all is lost because that was only temporary. 60, 70, 80, 90 years if you live that long as composed to, listen, one day, one moment in the presence of our Savior will be far greater than the 80 years of physical financial, marital, possessional, is that a word? Bliss that you will have in this life will dim to one moment with the Savior. Do you understand that? Can we, and in that light, then it's easier for me when my eyes are on Jesus and understanding that to pick up my cross and follow him. And I don't need all this stuff. Oh, listen, that doesn't mean that, we, that God doesn't give us things to enjoy. Please don't misunderstand me. I've got a wonderful family. I've got a wonderful house. We have two cars that we don't have to worry about whether they're going to start in the morning when, when we go to crank them up or not. My kids go to Christian school. My kids have clothes on their back. Lucas just got some new clothes the other day because we could afford to get him some because he needed some. Ella was just able to go down to Charleston and stay at the beach because she has a blessed with a aunt that lives, the aunt and uncle that live down there. There's things in this life that God allows us to have that's fine. It's good. He blesses us. But oh, the blessing of one day being able to for him to wrap his arms around us and say, well done. Well done. Enter into the joy. Enter into the joy of my presence. Enter into the joy of God. Enter into the perfection of heaven. Enter in to your reward. Oh, my friends. 
I pray that we would pick up our cross, not live for this whole world, not try to get our way, our fleshly, humanly, natural way in this world, but that we would have our eyes and our mind and our heart on things that are above and therefore take up our cross, denying ourselves and follow him. Oh, what a day it's going to be. What a joy it's going to be. I said it was one last thing, Ella. I'm going to say one more and then I'm done. I have a friend. I call him a friend. He know, I, I know him. I've met him, Ron Hamilton, uh, Patch the Pirate. I was going to sing a song this morning. I'll probably wait till next week to do it. But Ron Hamilton was known as Patch the Pirate to me and my family growing up. And he had a children's ministry where, well, we listened to tapes growing up. And later they became CDs. And now you can do it on MP3s and all, digital media and all this kind of thing. But it was Bible stories or dramatizations with Bible songs in it. And for... 40 years he's carrying out he's carried out that ministry and for the last few years he's had alzheimer's and now as of yesterday he was at the and two days ago he was basically at the point they'd called in hospice and it wasn't going to be long and as far as i know he could be gone now he may still be holding on but my point is this my point is this he is going to soon cross over to the other side and we have our friends, the Swifts, and one of them said, oh, what joy it's going to be. And I hope that when he, as soon as he meets Jesus, talking about Patch the Pirate, my friend's son, that then the next person he'll get to meet is Andrew Swift, his dad. And what a celebration. What a heavenly reward. And our suffering will be over. And one day... If God allows us to live that long and he delays his coming, that's coming for all of us. I'm not going to take the time to do it this morning, but I could go around this church and call out the names of those that used to sit here while I was pastor that have since crossed over. Can you imagine what they are celebrating this morning? And we can't. Just understand that it's far greater and nothing they suffered in this world compares, holds a drop in the bucket. And some of them suffered for a long time. But none of it compares to what they're experiencing now. None of it will compare to what you will experience one day. Pick up your cross. Follow Jesus. Let's pray. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you. This way.